Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. Let's pray. Spirit of God, we invite you into this place and in our living rooms and the places where we're gathering together. And we ask that you would open our eyes to see Jesus clearly, that you would open our ears to hear what you're saying to us in this moment in time, and that you'd open our hearts to be formed into the very image and way of Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated both here and at your homes. Those of you who are joining us via live stream, welcome. And those here, welcome. Uh, if you're brand new, I am not the pastor at Christ Church Madison. Uh, that is Father Scott. But my name is Chad, and I'm the pastor of a brand new church that's starting in the Fox Cities in Wisconsin. Uh, we're in Appleton, and we're, we'll talk a little bit about, um, more about that in the announcements. Uh, but we're so excited to be here and to have a group of our people here to worship with you all this morning. So last year was the 75th year of the end of World War II, and it kind of got lost in the shuffle of COVID and all the other things happening, but as you can imagine, there were tons of articles written about people's experiences at different parts of the, the liberation, and many of the people's stories are, are dying with them because they're almost 100 years old, many of the people who went through World War II. And one of these stories in particular caught my attention last year. And I didn't remember hearing about this in history class. It doesn't mean that my teacher didn't teach it. I just maybe wasn't paying attention. But it was about the liberation of more than 500 prisoners of war in Cabanatuan. It was a, a POW camp in the Philippines. Uh, and it became known as the Great Raid and many of these prisoners had survived the Great Bataan Death March earlier, and they were in Japanese captivity for more than three years. Could you imagine that? Three years being captive. And they were in awful condition when they were found, physically and emotionally. Many of them, many of them were fearing that they wouldn't make it. But late in January of 1945, a really small force of elite American Army soldiers and Filipino soldiers staged a really daring rescue mission. And the details are amazing. I do encourage you to read about it. But in 30 minutes, they had defeated the enemy, and the prisoners began a long, dangerous march back into friendly territory towards safety, many being pulled in carts by the Filipino water buffalo. Crazy story. It's a dramatic story of liberation for people who were held captive for years, many of them wondering if they would ever be free again. Now, of course, most of us, thank the Lord, have not experienced the horror of a POW camp, but have you ever been trapped in your current situation, wondering if things will ever get better? A long-term sickness, maybe feelings of loneliness, anxiety, depression, a relationship that just seems shattered and that it's never going to get fixed, or maybe just feeling stuck in a life of boredom, kind of wandering around without purpose or vision, or wondering, will I have to wear a mask and socially distance forever? Maybe you've imagined what a life of freedom could be like, 
and you wonder if you'll ever taste it. Well, our gospel passage today is about people with these kinds of questions and longings. People who are trapped, who are held captive by sicknesses, by diseases, by all kinds of trouble. And it's about what happens when these people encounter Jesus. Some recent Bible scholars have talked about how the Gospel of Mark is written kind of like a play, like a Greek drama. And Mark invites the listener to enter into this story. And if you've been following along with us in the last few weeks, hopefully you've, you've felt this, the drama of Jesus' life, to take this journey with him and enter into the story and be there and experience it as a listener. It's like Mark is inviting us into the story and asking us this question, who is this Jesus? And in some ways, the last three weeks here at Christ Church have been uh, a trilogy, if you will. Two weeks ago, we were introduced to Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, who's bringing God's kingdom, his rule, his reign, and then what response he's asking of us. Last week, we saw Jesus as a teacher, teaching with authority and his words bringing about new realities. And I strongly encourage you, if you didn't hear those sermons by Father Scott, to go back and listen to them. They're really rich and powerful. And today, the episode brings together these two into a new episode with three different scenes. And we're going to go through these scenes and see that Jesus is a healer, that Jesus is a liberator, and that Jesus is a proclaimer. Now, I realize that in a group of this size, with all of our different backgrounds, we hear stories of Jesus healing, casting out demons, and that might cause different responses in us. First, some of you might be a little uneasy by this, and typically Westerners in our medical worldview do get a little like, oh, where is this going? Is this when they start bringing snakes out and we're going to start handing them and passing them down? Now, if we didn't have COVID, maybe, but no, we would we wouldn't do that. Or some of you might feel disappointed. It, it might remind you of the past when maybe you were praying for someone to experience healing and they weren't healed, and so there's a frustration or disappointment. Some of you might be super pumped. You sign up for, I'll sign up for the revival services. When are those happening? Count me in. And other people might wonder, why, why does it really matter? Like, aren't there more important things for us to deal with and be concerned about in our world today? Wherever you are in encountering this text, I hope that you'll see how the ministry and mission of Jesus in bringing the gospel, both in word and in deed, is really good news. If you brought your Bibles with you today, please get them out now. If you're at home, make sure you uh, grab a copy. And if you don't have one, I've heard Father Scott say in the past, he will actually bring one to your doorstep. So send him an email, scott at christchurchmadison.com. He will hand deliver it, appropriately distancing, of course. And he'll wrap it also. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible, the, the gospel text is actually printed in the order of service too. So scene one in today's episode, in the drama presented by Mark, Jesus the healer, good news for those who are trapped by sickness. Let's read chapter 1, verse 29. Immediately he, Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. 
Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Most of us have had a fever like this, or you've experienced caring for someone with a fever like this. This isn't the, I'm kind of feeling warm fever. This is laying on the couch, sweating with chills, wondering, should we go to the ER kind of fever. So this is a scary situation for them. But I love this personal, tender side of Jesus that we see in this story. It's not just about a mission that's out there somewhere, that he has to be all these different places. What we learn about this, about Jesus from this scene is that Jesus the healer is personal. He takes her hand. And in taking her hand, he's actually breaking rules because no rabbi would take the hand of a woman in this situation. He could have just spoken the word, and we see that in different places. Jesus just speaks a word and people are healed, but he didn't. He touches her. He sees her. He cares about the intimate, small, seemingly small details in her life. Some of us need that kind of Jesus who sees us in these moments and tenderly grabs our hand and lets us know that he's here with us, bringing us healing. Okay, scene two. Jesus, the liberator, which is good news for those who are trapped by sickness and evil. Verse 32, that evening at sundown, They brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. That's kind of a fun detail. Jesus is setting people free from the work of evil in their lives. Could you imagine watching this scene unfold? Imagine the sights, imagine the sounds, imagine the smells, because sick people often don't have pleasant odors, especially in that time, in that area. I'm imagining, I'm picturing the scene, and it doesn't doesn't specify what these people were dealing with, but I'm imagining, based on other passages in in the Bible, first a, a paralyzed man being brought to this house followed by a woman with a skin disease and maybe a relative of hers who can't hear. And then maybe a cluster of folks brought who have different psychological illnesses. They wouldn't have called them what we do in our time, but there were mental conditions that the people were struggling with. I'm imagining an accumulation of people now at this door of of folks who are, are blind, who are lame, who are mute, and Imagine the sounds of pure joy and celebration erupting when these people who were trapped for so long are liberated by Jesus and their families are so thrilled that they have their family member back and that the person is whole again. I imagine the awe and the wonder that this scene of a a gathering of increasing numbers happening at Simon's house. I find it really interesting that even now in the scriptures that 
the, the writer differentiated between physical and spiritual maladies. Sometimes we think, oh, they, they just thought everything was demonic, and now we know better. They actually could differentiate. So they knew that there were some medical conditions, some physical conditions, and there were some spiritual conditions. And remember, last week, Father Scott pointed out from Colossians chapter 1 that in creation, there is visible and invisible. We say it every week in the creed. There's a physical and a spiritual realm. And Paul writes in Ephesians 6 that our battle is actually not against the physical part. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers and principalities the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, that's where the battle lies. So we're not looking for demons under every bush. But we're also not saying that everything is just cells and neurons. Of course, medicine is crucial. Counseling is key in experiencing wholeness for many people. But sometimes illnesses actually have a spiritual foundation and component. Sometimes our physical and emotional pain actually opens the door for a spiritual influence to come in and make that even worse and stir it up. I was kind of imagining what this could look like today. What, what would this look like today if Jesus maybe came to Father Scott's house and he had just healed Marissa's mom of a really bad fever and the word spread what, what, would this, what kinds of conditions would people have? What would this look like? People eagerly bringing their sick, love, sick loved ones to the Cunningham's house so that Jesus could heal them. Would it be people with cancer? Would it include people with heart conditions? Back problems? Those who are paralyzed? Those who have different lung conditions? Pneumonia, perhaps? Maybe those who are super lonely and afraid. Maybe even those struggling with psychological conditions. Maybe dementia. Maybe depression or anxiety. Maybe even really hard ones like schizophrenia, attachment disorders, addictions. What we learn about Jesus, the healer and the liberator here in this scene, is that he's accessible. Jesus does not expect only the elite. He doesn't heal just the elite or people in a particular class. Only those who can get to him. No, no one is too unclean for Jesus. He's not grossed out by these diseases and the stains that we as human beings have. Jesus doesn't just tolerate you. And some of you need to hear that. He welcomes you. Jesus is accessible. Now, of course, healing and deliverance from demons is complicated. We're not going to answer all the questions that come up this morning. And it's why some people just avoid this subject altogether. But some of you might be wondering how God sees sickness and evil, and that's an important question. You might ask, God, whose side are you on? Because sometimes it doesn't feel like God's on our side. Sometimes it feels like God's on cancer's side. What we can see from this passage is that we can put sickness in the evil category. We can say that it's evil, and when Jesus confronts evil, sickness is part of that. Jesus is on the side of wholeness. He's on the side of restoration. 
Now, if we go back to Genesis, we see that sickness enters the world because sin entered the world. They're part of the same cloth. They're not different things. They're part of the same garment. God said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. And physical fracturing is a picture of spiritual fracturing. We see relationships start to unravel. We see bodies breaking. We see thinking and feeling distorted. The whole world is is coming apart in the beginning of the Bible. But then we see how Jesus comes to put it all back together. And he starts with hearts. He forgives our sins. Yes, that's important and beautiful. But healing isn't an extra. It's not an add-on. It's actually an integral part of the good news. It's both a sign and a snapshot of the gospel. So healing is both a sign of the gospel and a snapshot of the gospel. Let me tell you what I mean. So signs do different things for us. One thing they do is to tell us that something is coming. So if you get on the interstate, you start driving up toward Wisconsin Dells, you're going to see big signs, billboards with these water parks. Everyone's having a great time. They make you think, I want to go to that water park. But what you don't see is people stopping at the billboard and getting out and going tubing. They're not there yet, but they give us a picture. of a, a, they, they tell us what's coming. The second thing that signs do, they go beyond that. They actually give us a foretaste. This is like baking cookies with grandma. And she gives you a spoonful of the dough before the cookies come out. They actually give us a taste of what's coming. So they tell us what's coming. They also give us a taste of what's coming. In the Western church, typically we have focused on saving souls. And that's not bad in and of itself. But it's incomplete. At the end of the creed, what do we say every week? We look for the resurrection of the dead. Not to leave our body behind, not to escape a bodily prison, but to look for a restored, transformed body. Healing is a sign of that transformed resurrection body that's coming. And the sign is cool, but the destination is even better. This tells me that God cares about the physical. God redeems the whole of creation. He doesn't just save souls. So the gospel isn't grin and bear it because someday you're going to fly away. The gospel is even if you don't see the sign now, one day you will experience a bodily resurrection. Sometimes we see the sign and sometimes we don't. And all people who are healed eventually die again. It's a bummer for Lazarus who died and was raised from the dead, and he he had to die twice. But these signs are just signs. The point is, we're going to get to the destination. So, healing is a sign of the gospel. It's also a snapshot of the gospel. Photographers will like this. What does it look like to be restored? I could tell you in a very abstract way, God, is, God came to restore things for you. Like, okay, awesome. What does that look like? Well, healing is a snapshot of that. We can look at someone who couldn't walk, who is stuck, and now they're able to leap and move. We could look at someone who was blind, could not see. Now that person can see. 
It's a snapshot of the gospel. What does it look like to be made new in Jesus? These are pictures. We can grab onto them. We can, we can touch them. We can experience them. Scene three. So Jesus is not just the healer and the liberator, but he's also the proclaimer. We're going to uh, skip a few verses and go to verse 38. Jesus said to the disciples around him, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So this is how the good news arrives. It arrives both in word, which was talked about last week. Go listen to that. It also arrives in deed. Preaching, casting out demons, proclamation, demonstration, Jesus proclaiming the story of God and inviting people to join him, Jesus demonstrating his power over sin and sickness and death. We need both. Without the word, with, with only the word, we don't know what it looks like. We don't know if it works. Does this really work? And if we only have deeds, we don't know what it all means. How does this all fit together? Where are we going? What is the, the story? Can you tell me what this means? So this is not a gospel fringe movement. Some kind of kingdom extremism that only the people way over here talk about and the rest of us don't. This is actually meant to be mainstream Christianity. And it's not just for Jesus, it's actually for his followers. Let's look at two other texts. So uh, if you don't have your Bibles, you'll just have to listen. But if you do, turn to Acts chapter 8. It was almost hard to pick which of these texts to use because there are so many of them in the New Testament. Acts chapter 8, the church has just been pushed out. Uh, because of uh, persecution. And there's a man named Philip who was pushed out as part of the persecution. He ended up in Samaria. Chapter 8 of Acts, verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now, listen to these words. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. What causes the people to pay attention? It's word and deed. The message and the signs, the signs that show what's coming, the signs that are actually a foretaste of what's coming. And look at the result. People are filled with joy. They've encountered life in Jesus. The other one, uh, flip to the next book in your Bible, the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15. Toward the end, actually, of Paul's letter to the church there in Rome. Romans 15, verses 18 and 19. 
Paul writes, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ." What brought those who were far away from Jesus, far away from God's family, to come and experience Him? It was word and deed. It was the practical demonstration of God's power in their very lives that they experienced Jesus tangibly that brought them into the fullness of the gospel, according to Paul. And this didn't just end with the New Testament writers. Sometimes we can think, well, that was great for the Bible, but then it kind of stopped then. Can I just share four different writers who many of us hold in high regard from the early church who wrote about these things as well? I'll be really quick, I promise. The first one was Justin Martyr. In his second apology, this is around 160 AD, he said, for numberless demoniacs, those who are possessed by demons, Throughout the whole world, many of our Christian men, casting them out in the name of Jesus Christ, have healed and do heal, rendering helpless and driving the possessing devils out of the men. A couple decades later, Irenaeus, in Against Heresies, writes this in about 180. For some do certainly and truly drive out devils, so that those who have been thus cleansed from evil spirits frequently both believe in Christ and join themselves to the church. Others still heal the sick by laying their hands upon them and they are made whole. Forty years after that, Tertullian, in writing to Scapula, writes this, Heaven knows how many distinguished men, to say nothing of common people, have been cured either of devils or of their sicknesses. And finally, 30 years later, Origen, in his work against Celsus, says, By the name of Jesus, we too have seen many persons freed from grievous calamities and from distractions of mind and madness and countless other ills which could not be cured neither by men nor by devils. So word and deed, good news proclaimed, good news enacted, both of them are intrinsic to the gospel. They're inseparable. We don't get to pick. It's not an either-or. It's actually a both-and. And we love both-ands, right? We're Reformed Catholics. We like the, the yes, both of these together. So Jesus didn't come and live and die and rise again just so that we could go to heaven. No, it's bigger than that. It's more beautiful. It's more wonderful and cosmic than that. Jesus came, he lived and died and rose again and ascended to heaven so that the whole world, the whole universe could be made new to vanquish the reign of evil, sickness, and death. This is good news in action. The inbreaking, reigning presence of God that pushes back the powers of evil. We need more than just instructions. We need power to come into us and make us new. We need someone to say, you were stuck and now you can get up. We need someone to say, you were dead, but now you're alive. I had a basketball coach in middle school say, let your play do the talking. He was talking especially to a couple of folks on our team. 
not me. What he was saying is that words are empty if they're not backed up by action. Because a lot of people talk a big game, but the question is, do they deliver on what they're saying? And in the last few months, we've had so many people make lots of promises to make things better from all different political parties, all across the spectrum, and actually many of them don't have the power to bring about the things that they're promising. We long for someone to bring about the restoration that everyone is talking about. And this is where the ministry of word and deed and the power of the gospel comes into play. Because the gospel ministry of word and deed meets us in our deepest human longings. To be seen in our conditions by the Lord, to receive truth about our situations, and to experience the power and love of God as he gives us a foretaste of this life in him that we will enjoy in eternity. The deeds get our attention. When so many people promise things and don't deliver, this gospel demonstration as both a signpost and a snapshot of life in Jesus is a key to our lives of gospel invitation in this coming season. Because we're living in a really unique time. I think this, heading into this summer and fall, there's an openness to the gospel that most of us in this room have not seen. A specific openness to the gospel in word and deed. Because many people, like those POWs in Cabanatuan, have been in captivity so long that they're losing hope. They're in rough shape physically. They're in rough shape emotionally, relationally, spiritually. They're feeling trapped. They're wondering if they'll ever be free. And actually, that, that might even be some of us in the room today, some of us over live stream in our living rooms. That might be some of us. We need an inbreaking of God's rule, his reign, his power to set us free from our sin and from evil and from sickness. Or maybe the Holy Spirit is inviting you in this season into a new and maybe uncomfortable place of moving from more focusing on word and proclamation into demonstration and God's work in the world. We need word and deed. We need the gospel proclaimed and we need the gospel demonstrated. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you today having our faith built up by your scriptures that show us that the gospel goes out in word and it also goes out in demonstration and power. And for those who are held today in captivity, who are longing for freedom, we pray for a release from the grip of evil in their lives. And we pray that you would raise up this church, raise up Christ Church Madison, raise up Church of the Incarnation to be places where people can come and experience the saving, healing, delivering power of God. I ask this morning boldly, Lord, for freedom from sickness, for healing in people's bodies, for rescue from evil, the forces of darkness that are clouding people's minds, that are impairing their judgment, that are keeping them in captivity, in addictions. Lord, would you break the power of the evil one in their lives and bring freedom to them. Come, Lord Jesus, in power as your gospel is proclaimed 
that you would actually demonstrate it in tangible ways. And may many in the coming months who are walking in fear and have no hope can experience Jesus at work in their midst and in their lives, and they would come and be brought into the loving arms of your church here in Madison and in Appleton as well. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray.